we, we read the first uh, 10 verses here. It goes like this. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter in at these gates of, to worship uh, the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your own hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, oh, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, became a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. And so, Father, tonight as we approach your most magnificent word, and maybe even read a portion of the scriptures that we've never read before, uh, maybe even read a, a part of the Bible that um, is still stuck together, or maybe you've never even heard a sermon on, on this part of Jeremiah, we ask that you would open up our eyes tonight. And I, I thank you so much for the deep theology of the, the songs that we just sung and, and even the words that Isaac spoke to us. Just the privilege of knowing that the Holy Spirit is working even now. That you would open up our hearts and our minds to the reading of your word. That we would truly apply it to our lives. How we can be just like the people of Israel some 2,700 years ago who also had hypocritical hearts. Who could go from sinning one moment to walking through a pair of doors and lift their hands and praise to the creator of all things. And then after leaving, go back to doing exactly what they had just been doing. So Lord, please help us to see ourselves mirrored in these verses. How we too at times... Uh, can have um, a, a, that week in our lives where it's whatever we want to do outside of these walls. And when we come in, we have a spiritual language or we have a spiritual talk or we have our Christianese or religiosity. Lord, please forgive us. Instead, help us to mirror your word wherever we're at, whomever we're with, that we would talk the same, that we would have a desire to present your light and your word to those around us in truth and know that your spirit is working mightily through us. Lord, help us to see through these chapters today the amazing way that you work, not only this time of the year, but all throughout the year when, when our hearts may be close to you or, or when our hearts may be far from you. When we may be depressed or weeping as we're going to see here in these chapters or whether our hearts are joyful and happy and so lord i ask that you tonight change us from the inside out that that our actions would mirror our hearts toward you that we would have hearts that are flexible and pliable and malleable to you that you can mold us to do what you would have us to do, that we would do all things for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. You probably, as we've been going through the book of Jeremiah, and I remember when we first started going through uh, the whole Bible on Wednesday nights, it was about 10 years ago, and the pastor, he started uh, walking us through, starting all the way back in, in Genesis, and I had the privilege of picking it up in, in the book of Psalms, and 
uh, last year, and we've been going through the Psalms, and then uh, uh, all, the, all these amazing poetic books, and then we get to the book of Isaiah, and you get to, to be in the very presence of a holy, holy uh, God, Emmanuel, God with us. And we see is Isaiah as he's walking into the very presence of God and he, he falls on his face, understanding his own uh, sin. And now we come to the book of Jeremiah and Jeremiah's experience is a little bit different. He still sees God, but he also understands what's going on around him. You see, the, the hypocrites that he lived with, the people that he is having to endure, not only in the common people, but the priests, the religious people as well, is so a part of the society, is, is ingrained in every single part of the society as we learned about two weeks ago, starting with the king, going to the priests, and then also every single person that is living in Jerusalem at this time. You see, this is the last of the people that are about ready to be literally destroyed. The city walls are going to be torn down. The temple that King Solomon built is going to be raised to the ground, to its very foundations. All these people that are living at this time are going to go through one of the most horrific histories in Jerusalem's time period. Uh, so much so that if you read the book of Lamentations, uh, women are going to have to eat their own children. That they're going to be roasting their food over dung. It's going to be one of the worst times in the history of Israel itself. And, and you can you know, understand why Jeremiah's nickname is the weeping prophet. In fact, he wrote two of the books, the only prophet to write two of the books in the Old Testament, Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations, of course, is, is this heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching book that literally describes what is taking place while the walls are being torn down and the temple itself is being raised to the ground. And when we first started this, this introduction into Jeremiah, we learned that there's a difference between depression or, or sadness and a lamentation. And we can, we can easily get caught up in this, especially this time of year. Did you know that Christmas time, the holidays, are one of the worst times for depression ever? Because people feel isolated and alone during this time of the year. It, it can be so horrendous to go through a time where you think everybody else is having a good time except for who? Me, right? And so who do we think about? We think about me, right? And it's all about me in these periods of depression and loneliness where Jeremiah, he points the lamentation to those around him rather than thinking about himself. And by the way, Jeremiah is going through exactly the same thing that everybody else is going through. He, he has to also go through famine. He has to go through understanding that the people of Babylon have surrounded the walls and they're about ready to tear them down. But even more so, Jeremiah is going to be mistreated by these people. He's going to be mistreated by the priests. They're going to slug him in the face. They're going to put him in prison. Not just any prison, but a pit where he's literally going to sink into the ground. Uh, where, where Jeremiah is going to look up and cry out with that gut-wrenching cry, Oh, why me, God? And the lament that he cries is for the people around him, for his fellow countrymen. And the lament, of course, is for repentance in uh, the land. I don't know if you kind of recognize these passages, especially as we read, uh, you know, verse 11 there. You, you've probably heard this verse. You just didn't know where you heard it from or, or where it was quoted. Most of the time we read it in the New Testament. In fact, in verse 11 there of chapter 7 in Jeremiah, it says, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. Where is this quoted at? Who says this in the New Testament? Jesus Christ. 
Remember when Jesus came into the temple and he sees all those money changers. He sees the people literally trying to um, get an upper hand on their countrymen. They're, they're trying to shortchange those people that are coming in with their legitimate sacrifices saying, that sacrifice is not clean. You need to buy this clean sacrifice. And then providing them with an exorbitant amount of price for it, making them pay over and above what they should pay, literally cheating their own people. Jesus goes into the corner. He makes that whip, and what does he do? He overthrows those tables. He whips them out. He chases them out, and he says, and he quotes from this verse here, from the book of Jeremiah in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, and he said, and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Literally reminding them that this is why your walls were torn down in the first place. This is why the temple was torn down in the first place. Why? Because you were a bunch of hypocrites. You made the temple that was supposed to be holy and righteous full of a den of thieves. In fact, what are they doing here? And, and you can see it in verse 8 there. It says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then you come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. What is it? It's just a bunch of religiosity. It's, a, it's just a bunch of tradition. We'll say our prayers and then we'll go about our way. We'll, we'll do our, you know, confessions. We'll do our, you know, Bible verses. And then we'll go about our own uh, business. We'll come on Sunday and the rest of the week we can do whatever we want. Maybe you grew up that way. Maybe you do that even now. I, I know this is the Wednesday crowd and none of you guys do that, you know. You guys are the, you know, the faithful ones, right? You come. You could be doing anything else tonight, right? But instead, you're in church. Not only do I appreciate it, but, but those people that are around you that you're encouraging even tonight see it as well. But more importantly, who else sees it? God sees it, right? But do you understand you can come on a Wednesday night, you can come on Monday night for the men's or women's Bible study, you can come on Friday night for the 180, you can come on Sundays, you can help out with the food pantry, and you can still go about your business and do all the other things. All these things that are listed here, worshiping foreign gods, doing what I want to do, lying, cheating, adultery, all the things that are so ingrained in our world today, the advertisements. And yet when we come into church, everything changes. And we wonder why the world calls us hypocrites. Because it's so easy to do. And it's why the Jews, the Israelites, the people living in Jerusalem at this time are about ready to be destroyed. And Jeremiah has the unfortunate privilege to warn them. And they're not going to like the message, just like today. Do people like it when we point out sin in their lives? No, no one likes it. It cuts to the quick. It makes us examine our own hearts. But if we love people, we will do it. In verse 12, it continues on, But go now to my place, which is in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. But now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I, I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. 
Therefore, I will do to the house, which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place, which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. You see, the northern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed in 722 B.C. Uh, th this is approximately 600, 610 uh, B.C., so about 100 years uh, later in terms of time. The northern kingdom had been destroyed by the Assyrians. The Assyrians had been destroyed by the Babylonians. The Babylonians are now the world power at this time, and they have their eyes again on the Middle East. They've come two times before, by the way. The first time they came, and, and you can uh, go into more detail if you watch the previous episodes uh, that we, where we talked about this, but basically the first time that they came in, they took away anything that was worth value, including people, by the way. They, they took away all the handsome people and all the smart people and all, all the people with skill. Anyone that could learn a, a foreign language and work in another uh, kingdom, these were the men like Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Misael, the ones that we read about in the book of Daniel. They, they were taken away first. And then you had the second uh, exile or the, the second group of people that were taken away. These were the people with blue-collar skills. These were the people that were taken away during the time of Ezekiel that we read about in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, these are the people that are living on the river Kibar, and they're, they're doing various tasks, manual tasks, throughout the kingdom of Babylon. And then you have everybody that's left over, the riffraff, the poor, the people with no skill. And by the way, if all the handsome people are gone, what does that mean about the people that are left? They're the ugly people, right? That's who's left in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah has to minister to those people. The rejects that Babylon wasn't even willing to take with them. These are the people that are left in Jerusalem to defend the walls. And Babylon is strong against them and about ready to tear down the walls. And in 586 BC, the walls will be torn down. The temple of Jerusalem will be torn down. That once beautiful temple built by King Solomon himself will be razed to the ground. And for 70 years, the land will be left barren. And the book of Jeremiah records this for us. The remembrance is that the northern kingdom was destroyed, and now the southern kingdom is next, the kingdom of Judah. Verse 16, therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or pray for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. And by the way, this is God talking. Is there a point? Is there a point? When God will no longer hear the prayer. When the heart is so hard. That it's been set by the will of God. You, you remember Pharaoh in the book of Genesis, right? That every time Moses would come to him, he would, you know, he'd say, you know, oh, okay, we'll, 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 you know, change our ways. We'll let a part of you go. And then, then he would make his heart hard first five times by the way he did that he chose to make his heart hard and the last five times god solidified it so much so that even after the ninth plague his son his oldest son died and that hard heart is now set so much that all he does is want to destroy the Israelites. And even after they're gone, what does he do? He sends his army after them. We lost our slaves. The solidification of the heart of Pharaoh. Can we reject the promises of God so many times? That our heart becomes solid, no longer malleable, 
no longer pliable. You see, this was the nickname of the Jews, by the way. They were called stiff-necked and hard-hearted. Their hearts were so hard to the word of God, it would just bounce off. Or in verse 17, as we continue on, do you not see what you, they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own face? The same people that would come into the sanctuary, raise their hands, sing those amazing psalms, would go back out and worship the astras, the, the female version of the balls. These uh, idols, these statues that were anatomically correct. And let literally worship them rather than the God of the universe. You see, God is a jealous God. The very first commandment, by the way. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It is God alone, the Shema, the, the only one who will be worshipped by his people. We can have no other. Verse 20, therefore thus says the Lord God, behold my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man, on, on beast, on the trees and the fields, on the fruit of the ground, and it will, be it will burn and not be quenched. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. But I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them saying. You see, when the people of Israel left Egypt, God didn't tell them, oh, now you have to sacrifice to me. No, what did he do instead? It says it here, obey my voice and I will be your God. And you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you. That it may be well with you. It's not a bunch of religious tradition. It's not about doing the right steps in terms of religiosity. It's about listening to the heart of God. It's not a religion. And you all know this. You've heard this probably thousands of times. It's what? A relationship between you and the God of the universe. It's us that turns it, turns it into a religion. It's us into, that turns it into a bunch of rules or, or sacrifices that we're going to see here or, or things that we think it should be. God wants to have a relationship. He wants us to listen to him. And he wants to listen to us as well. See, this is the privilege of prayer, right? When, when you pray, who does most of the talking? <clears throat> Do you understand that most of the time it's me? We, we bring our shopping lists. We bring our requests. Might thank them for a couple of things too, you know, every so often. But do we actually listen to the God of the universe? Who, by the way, has so much more to say to us than we do. This is what we, we find out. What does it say in verse 24? Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts. And went backwards and not forward. Remember that word that's repeated more times in the book of Jeremiah? than any other book in the whole Bible, the word backslide. Uh, they, they have backslidden. They have gone backwards rather than forward. Since the day that their fathers came out of the land of Egypt, until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants and the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Is this the first time that God has come to them and said, you need to repent? 
No, this is like the five millionth time. This is like after literally centuries and centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years, God has been patient with them. And just like us today, we can say, oh, you know, why are you punishing me? God can so easily say to us, I've been warning you over and over and over again. But because of the hardness of our own hearts, it's so easy for us to not obey. Or as it continues on there, yet they did not obey my voice or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer. Jeremiah, you're going to have to speak these words knowing that they're going to reject you. Knowing that they're not going to listen to you. Knowing that they're not going to be nice to you. What kind of a congregation is that? How many times do, you know, and, and you know, I've been there and it, it's, it's easy, you know, just to give up if you have one bad day, you know. Oh, it's the worst thing being a, you know, a person that teaches or being a pastor or something like that. You have hard days over and over. And I mean, you just look at our pastors and thank God for the pastors that we have. They, they deal with all kinds of horrific things in their lives that, that comes not, not, you know, so much from, you know, even the outside world. It comes from inside the church. Just the complaints that happen throughout the week. Uh, from people that, you know, claim to be, you know, Christian. Or the demands that people have in their lives. And who do they go to? Who do they call up? You know, they call up the pastors, right? But do you understand that even though they could give up, you know, they don't. They endure. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, by the way, this is Samuel who's saying this. He, he's saying this to King uh, Saul, who has just literally uh, snubbed his nose at God. And then rather than obeying God, he's, you know, kept a portion of the, the best for himself. He, he's kept the king who he was told uh, to kill. He's kept him alive as a status, as a, as a trophy. And, and Solomon in his book, 1 Solomon, or, or excuse me, Samuel, First uh, Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. Look at the next verse. Look at what it compares it to. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, which by the way is literally devil worship. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you, talking to Saul, from being king. From that day on, Saul is no longer recognized as king. Samuel leaves this place and goes and anoints David on that very day. And do, do you understand what is being said here? Because we, we, we always think it's about, you know, how much I give or how much I do or how much, you know, the, the status of who I am being a Christian. It, it's all about the sacrifice that I give to the Lord. It's the things I give up, right? But what does God want? He wants your obedience. He wants you to listen to him. He wants you to obey what he tells you to do, not what other people tell you to do. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Verse 28. So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. By the way, this is the chosen people of God. 
this is the people that God chose out of all the other nations on the planet. My, my bottle's in the back. My bottle's in the back right over there. My bottle's right over there. I, I just didn't bring it up with me. Sorry about that, guys. <clears throat> this is the chosen people of God. God knew that they would do this. Just like Peter, just like all the disciples God chose. He knew that Peter would deny him, and yet he chose him anyway. He knew that Israel would defy him, and yet he chose them anyway. What does that show about the most amazing God? Thank you, beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My beautiful wife, guys. And my beautiful friend in the back, Kevin, you know. <clears throat> I got to pick him up yesterday from, from his neck being injected. It was lots of fun. Um, but do you understand why God chooses? He, he chooses the worst on purpose to show his great faithfulness. It shows that he is faithful. Because he could give up on us at any time. And yet he chooses to be faithful to us. Despite the fact that we are unfaithful to him. The people of Israel just show the fact that God is the most faithful, patient God in the entire universe. The only being that would ever put up with them. And yet God still chose them. And guess what? It's the same with us too. Isn't that true? Isn't that amazing? The faithfulness of a faithful God. And then the theme of Jeremiah cut off your hair and cast it away and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. What was the cry of Jeremiah and who did he cry for? Because his own people had rejected the loving God of the universe who created them and chose them. And this lament isn't for Jeremiah per se, it's for the people because they haven't repented of their sins. And he knows what will happen. Being a prophet of God, he knows that the walls will be torn down and the temple will be destroyed. And all those people within the walls that do not leave will be killed. After having to go through months and months and months of starvation. And horrific suffering. And knowing it was because of their own pride. Their own hardness of heart. And their stiff necks. That they will have to face. The wrath of God. The children of Judah have done evil in my sight. Says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house. Which is called by my name. To pollute it. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. They have burned their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. And by the way, if you read the book of Ezekiel, you see exactly what's going on within the holy place itself, within the very walls of the temple. You see these images that are put within the place that was supposed to be reserved for God, uh, that there was idols there. And, and then not only that, but they were worshiping creation itself. They were worshiping the sun. They were worshiping those things that God had created. And they themselves were worshiping the priests, the high priests, the ones that were supposed to be worshiping God, that were supposed to be doing things for God. Instead, they were worshiping foreign gods. They were worshiping idols, things that they had created themselves and those things that God himself had created. But not only that, as it says in verse 31, what else were they doing? And it makes you weep, by the way. Burning their sons and their daughters in the fire. Making their, their children walk across these hot coals when they were older. Uh, to the god Molech, with this horrific, bloodthirsty god. And then they would, you know, put their 
literal their their babies their their you know whether it was the firstborn or because there was a bad you know harvest or or something that they wanted more than this little child and they would literally put it upon the sizzling the burning arms of this metal god as it would sizzle in front of them it's just horrific we wonder why god didn't do it sooner sooner and by the way, it's easy to point to Israel and the four fingers are pointing at our nation as well. Verse 32, therefore behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Hinnom, where they would do these horrific things, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven, for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. What you did to your children will be done to you. What you did to your innocent children will be done to you. When the Babylonians come in, there's going to be no place to, you know, literally put all these corpses, and so they're just going to pile them up in the same exact place where those same people burned their own children. The corpses of this people will be, or excuse me, verse 34. And then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah, from the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. For the land shall be desolate for 70 years. This will be true. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, it says this. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. And look how hell fire, or what hell fire is compared to. It says it there in Matthew chapter 5, just skipping a couple of verses ahead in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your own or your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. This word hell that is used three times in this, this word hellfire that is used literally refers to this valley of slaughter. This, this valley of Hinnom. Uh, the comparison was exactly the same. This place where the fires would be burning over and over and over again, all the trash. All the refuse, the stink, the stench from this place being compared to hell itself, where the screams last forever and ever and ever. The smell of sulfur is constantly in your nose. Jeremiah is lamenting his people. Because he doesn't want them to experience this. He cries out for them to repent, but they do not. Chapter 8, verse 1. It continues on at that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah, and the bones of its princes, and the bones of the priests, and the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. Not, not just the babies that were born there, not just the common people, but who else is going to be thrown into this valley? Even the kings of Judah. Even the priests. Even the prophets. Babylon is going to come in and literally destroy everything. Defiling anything that is, is of value. Or remembrance. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven, which they have loved and which they have served and after which they have walked. This is going to be your legacy. Your legacy is going to be laid out before all creation. 
your bleached bones. All the things that you worshipped, that's what you're going to be laid out before. All the things that you loved, which they have sought and which they have worshipped, they shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Then death shall be chosen rather than life. By all the residue of those who remain of this evil family, who remain in all the places where I've driven them, says the Lord of hosts. We, we always choose the, you know, verses to memorize. It may be, maybe you put them on a mirror, or maybe you put them on a refrigerator. We call them refrigerator verses. You know, no, normally, you know, the verses that we choose, like, you know, normally it's Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to do what? You know, prosper you. We love those kind of verses. But do you understand the first 29, the first 28 chapters of Jeremiah all lead up to that? Because do you understand the, the hardships that the people of Israel had to go through? The, the horrific things that are taking place. Imagine if you were to put 8-3 on your refrigerator. Or, or one of these, these other verses on your refrigerator. Where, where, where I actually acknowledge I need to look and examine my ways first. I, I need to examine my own heart. We all need to repent of some secret sin in our lives. Those things that we like to hide from our, you know, Christian friends. All those things that we have that, you know, we, we, we leave at the door and then as soon as we leave again, we pick it up again, right? Rather than removing it from our lives. Jeremiah tells them to remove these things because this is what's going to happen to them. In verse 4, it says, Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Will they rise and not, or will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit, they refuse to return. This word that's repeated again more times in the book of Jeremiah. This word backsliding, literally falling down the slope. Rather than going toward God, they're going further and further and further because of their actions, because of their talk, because of who they are. In verse 6, I listened and I heard, but they did not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into the battle even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed time and the turtle dove and the swift and the swallow observe the time of their coming but my people do not know the judgment of the lord the birds are smarter than you because they at least know when to return home they, they at least can you know look at the what's going on the weather and they they know when to go back but my people are so dumb that they don't know how to come back to me. They're so proud. They're so prideful that they will not return to the God that chose them, loves them, and that's faithful to them. <coughs> Verse 8. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. I love the language of Jeremiah. I love that not only the, you know, and we, we can say that this is poetic, but literally it's in your face sarcasm. Because normally when you write with a, a pen, and of course this would have been, you know, whether it was a stylus or, or something that was, you know, not a ballpoint pen. It was something that had to be scribed into, whether it's clay or on papyrus or something like that. And the purpose of writing, especially if something that, you know, you knew that was valuable, that, that you couldn't change. There was no whiteout. There was no way to change this. That you had to make sure that every single mark every single stroke was true and if it wasn't you had to tear up throw away break the whole piece the whole plate 
the whole scroll had to be destroyed if one error was made. And so when you write these things down, what are you trying to write? The truth. Something that's real. Something that you write on purpose. That you know will be passed down to the future generation. But unfortunately, even the priests, the wise men, the scribes, the people that were learned, they were not writing the truth or speaking the truth. The wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Therefore I will give their wives to others and their fields to those who will inherit them, because from the least, even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. The very last of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not what? Covet. This, this commandment that, you know, literally sums up all of it, you know, because if you, you know, you don't covet, you're not going to want to kill or steal or destroy. You're not going to want to, you know, blaspheme the name of the Lord. It's only when you covet and desire something from someone else that you're going to do those type of things. But look at the people that are uh, lumped in this situation, this um, title of being covetous. The prophet and the priest. Those people that were supposed to be uh, examples. And what are they doing instead? They're coveting. For they have healed the herd of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall in the time of their punishment. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. We read about this uh, back in chapter 5 about the people losing their ability to blush. Their, their ability to feel shame. Because sin had just become ingrained in their life. It's just like our society today. It's so easy to brag about sin. Those things that, you know, the Bible describes as evil or wrong, we call uh, good. And the same thing is true back then. We have lost the ability to blush. And, and how do we gain that ability to blush? And you can look this up from two weeks ago. But we have to peel away the calluses of our hearts. We have to remove those things that make our heart insensitive. We, we have to be, you know, ashamed of our sin again. We have to be ashamed of the things that we do that are contrary to the word of God. Verse 13. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grape shall be on the vine, no fig on the fig tree. The leaf shall fade and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter the fortified cities and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence and given us water of gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came for a time of health and there was no trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they have come and devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it, the northernmost tribe, the northernmost part of the nation of Israel belong to the tribe of Dan. This far off country, and by the way, you know, Dan never fully populated their portion. Even in the, you know, book of Judges, which describes how the nation of Israel, you know, inhabited the land, the, the nation or the tribe of Dan never fully inhabited it. The only time that this is going to be fully inhabited is when the millennial kingdom comes. And you see what is happening here. Why are these neighing horses coming and where are they starting? They're starting from the top and they're going all the way down. 
literally consuming as they approach Jerusalem. And now Jerusalem is on the menu. Jerusalem is next on the list to be destroyed. Or as it even gets worse in verse 17, For behold, I will send serpents among you, vipers, which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people from a far country is not the Lord in uh, Zion. Oh, the deceptive words that are being said. And just like a snake charmer, just like a person who, who pretends to, you know, uh, hypnotize snakes, and you've all probably seen it before, that cobra that has its, its hood out and is, is following the rhythm of the music. By the way, that cobra is deaf. Snakes are deaf. What is it looking at? What is it following? The movement of the person that's playing the music. Ready to do what? Strike. Ready to bite. The deceptive words of the people. Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images, with foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. This me is, is Jeremiah. It's in the lower case. Again, echoing the cry, the theme of Jeremiah itself. Jeremiah is mourning for his people. Mourning, knowing what will happen to them. Lamenting their end. Lamenting what will come, become of uh, the people of God. For the hurt of, my, of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. Not only is he mourning, but what else? He feels their pain. In his very innermo innermost being, he feels their pain. How can he feel their pain? Because he's there with them. He's experiencing this first. He's not in some foreign country. He's not looking at it through a screen. He's actually there. Jeremiah is. And so as he pins these true words, unlike the rest of the people, unlike the rest of the prophets and the rest of the priests, as he pins these true words of what's happening, what is he saying? I'm going through this also. I have to experience the famine. I have to experience the horrific things that are happening all around me. Even so much so that he will be put into a, a prison, a pit in the ground, as we'll see later. Verse 22. Again, maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? I've heard that before. I just didn't know where. Well, highlight it. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22. By the way, there's an amazing hymn, and I don't know the tune. I just want to read it to you. It's literally titled, comes from this verse, Is There No Balm in Gilead? And you probably all know this. You've probably heard stories about this or illustrations on this. The balm in Gilead was known for its healing properties. It was, it was meant as a salve, S-A-L-V-E. It was meant for something that you would put on burns or cuts. It, it was made so that you know, it was like a, a antiseptic. It was made to be able to, you know, cause a, a faster healing to a wound. This balm that came from Gilead. But now for the people of Israel, there is no balm in Gilead. There is no physician there. 
this old hymn, it goes like this. How lost was my condition till Jesus made me whole. But there is but one physician can cure a sin-sick soul. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There's power enough in Jesus to cure a sin-sick soul. The worst of all diseases is light compared with sin. On every part it seizes but rages most within. Tis palsy, plague, and fever, and madness all combined, and none but a believer the least relief can find. A dying, risen Jesus, seen by the eye of faith, at once from danger frees us and saves the soul from death. Come then to this physician, his help he'll freely give. He makes no hard condition, just only look and live. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There's power enough in Jesus to cure a sin-sick soul. I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know where you are today. But as we've been reading through this book of Jeremiah, the truth is the same then as it is now. Repent and be saved. Because there is a physician. And who is that physician that can heal any soul? It's Jesus Christ. And thank God, by the way. And, and, and the same people that rejected the God of the universe, by the way, will do the same thing some 500 years later. They'll reject the Messiah. They'll reject Jesus Christ. Those people that cried out, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, laying down their own cloaks and cutting down the palm branches. Five days later, what do they cry? Crucify him, crucify him. The same hard-hearted, stiff-necked people. And he died for them. And he remained faithful to them. And he does the same to us. Aren't you glad we have a gracious, merciful God? Come to him today. So, Father, tonight as we um, leave these rooms, this, this, this building, we go about our, or the rest of our week as maybe, uh, you know, all the, the stresses that we had to experience during the holidays and all the things that have happened to us and you know, maybe uh, old habits have come back in whether it's thoughts or actions or just sin in our life. Help us to examine ourselves tonight. That we would desire with all of our hearts to rip those things out of our soul and come to you, the great physician, and know that you can heal us with something better than a salve, something better than you know physical medicine, something that can heal us spiritually, whether it's maybe depression, whether it's mainly loneliness in our life, maybe those things that we've been struggling with this time of, of the year that no one else can solve for us, help us to bring those things to your feet, to your presence, and know that you can help us. Lord, I thank you so much for my friends and my family here tonight, those that are watching online, uh, the, just the privilege of being a part of this church where we have you know, open doors on a Wednesday night, a room that, that is warm and we don't have to be out in the, in the cold, but to know that there's people with warm hearts that are even better that, that we can uh, talk with and pray for and fellowship with. Help us to edify one another tonight, to have that desire to help one another grow. Maybe even to help one another just be that uh, accountability that we need. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just bless each and every single one of these people, that you would use us for your glory, that we would have uh, the desire to show the same face that we have in this room tonight amongst other Christians that we would do also in the world tomorrow. In our work, in our extended families, in our, our friends, that we would be the light that is shown as truthful, 
that we will be the light that is shown as something that lasts, something that can be used by you. So, Lord, we thank you so much for your presence. We ask that you would just go with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.